three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 364. Welcome in. Uh, first of all, I guess, uh, it is the evening of Saturday, July 3rd. So if you're listening to this on July 4th, happy Independence Day uh, to those in America. Uh, the main focus of today's episode is to finish up predictions versus reality for the 2020 season. Uh, I do have a couple other things I want to talk about, some news, some fun stuff, things like that. Uh, and I guess at the top, I want to I want to take a moment to say this. Uh, yesterday, I went to my buddy Sean's house. Uh, Sean has a PS5. And uh, we played MLB The Show 2021. And uh, oh my goodness, it's an amazing game. I I think MLB The Show is now my new favorite sports game to play. Uh, Madden lost me. Uh, FIFA's really good too. 2K is good, but got a lot of microtransactions. Man, MLB The Show, if you hadn't, haven't played that, that's a, a wonderful, amazing game. Co-op is fantastic. It's fun to, you know, my buddy and I played next to each other on the couch. It's It's like really, really great. Uh, and it made me want to watch baseball. So I think it's actually it's good for the MLB as well. So that's a fun aside. If you have if you're curious about MLB the show, like my girlfriend and I are gonna or girlfriend fiance we're engaged now. It's been a, I should know this by now. Uh, my fiance and I are gonna play it. Actually, we played Wii baseball a lot, and I'm like I, I can teach you the mechanics of MLB the show. And so a little tip out there: if you like baseball, even if you don't like baseball, MLB the show is just a great game. You might really enjoy uh, with your friends and family. By the way. Speaking of my fiance, uh, I was listening to, I was watching a John Boy video earlier today. And uh, Liz, my fiance, pointed out that Jimmy O'Brien from John Boy sounds strangely similar to Jake Johnson, who played, uh, he's in uh, Spider Man. What's Shattered? What's the name of that movie? The, the animated Spider Man movie, whatever it's called, Shattered Dimensions, the one with Miles Morales. Uh, Jake Johnson also played. Nick from New Girl, and it's really uncanny. If you just listen, you don't watch, which I guess is really all you do anyway. You never see Jimmy O'Brien's face. Jimmy O'Brien from John Boy sounds almost exactly like Jake Johnson. It's kind of funny. It's a weird aside, but man, uh, it's once you hear it, you can't unhear it, and it's pretty uncanny. Uh, now, the second thing I want to touch on is this today. Uh, you may have seen the NCAA has basically been forced to allow student-athletes to profit off their own name, image, and likeness. Um, you know, you might have seen the acronym NIL all over the place. It's on Twitter, Instagram, articles, newspapers, everywhere. NIL, in case you didn't know, stands for name, image, likeness. A lot of people, for some reason, all the articles I read, they just skip over that as if you're supposed to know what NIL means. And I think a lot of people may not know that. So in case you don't know, name, image, likeness. But now college athletes can get scholarships the same way that by the way any other student at a college can do it's this is long overdue i'm really glad uh, this can happen now uh you know students can students whether you're an athlete or not can uh, accept endorsements from brands like i mean local brands big businesses whatever you want uh and i'm really glad that athletes can do this now i mean colleges make millions and millions of dollars off of the hard work and effort of student athletes, so especially college football players, uh, and I, I I love to see them finding a way to make some money. Many many top athletes, especially quarterbacks all over college football, have been signing with agents to help them make deals. Uh, it's really helpful. Your agent, what they do is they broker deals, 
and get you sponsorships and manage the relationship and manage how much money you're getting paid, yada, yada. That way, people like, you know, I get deals occasionally. I can work on the show and not have to worry about, you know, signing a deal and figuring out the logistics. For a student athlete, Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma, uh, it's even better to have a guy like that. I mean, to have someone you can focus on football and, and I guess school, <laughs> uh, but you can focus on what you're doing, training, working, playing football, and someone else can worry about the brand deal. That's really good, really helpful. Speaking of Spencer Rattler, uh, the Oklahoma quarterback, for example, uh, he has launched a clothing brand. He introduced a new logo for himself as a personal logo. It's kind of cool. It's got a a snake is built into his initials, the R and the S. Uh, and he signed with an agent, Chris Cabot, uh, the CEO of Steinberg Sports and Entertainment. I have seen so many stories like that. Uh, for example, Ryan Talinsky comes off the top of my head, the quarterback at Northwestern, signed with an agent. Uh, and I, I think that's awesome. I, I'm really, really happy to feel like we're getting some progress. Uh, and it, it, it's big news uh, to have name, image, and likeness be something that college athletes can now make money off of. That's awesome. That's really cool. It felt weird to not cover that, to like do a whole episode and not mention that's the new recent current news. And uh, when I saw that, it made me very, very happy. News item number three, the final one for today, is this. The Dallas Cowboys are going to be the featured team on Hard Knocks this year. Hard Knocks will premiere on HBO on August 10th. It will run for five episodes. By the way, this is the third time the Dallas Cowboys have been the featured team on Hard Knocks. Uh, And look, it makes sense. I get why they were chosen. A lot of it is, by the way, you get an opportunity to say no. You can only do that so many times, I believe, before your team is forced to take the deal. Um, I'm sure Dallas just accepted it. They're happy to get the exposure. And I, I, for HBO, from their perspective, trying to get people to watch your show, it's good because they got a massive fan base. They are, uh, it, it's a big market. You're like, you're really happy to have a lot of eyeballs on the show you're making. But when I saw that it's going to be the Dallas Cowboys on Hard Knocks, I went, eh, like I, I don't care. I really. It doesn't excite me. I, I, I honestly can think of so many other teams I would have rather watched on Hard Knocks than the Dallas Cowboys. I would have rather seen the Carolina Panthers. They have uh, a relatively new owner. They have a second-year coach, Matt Rule. They just traded for Sam Darnold. He's trying to revive his career in Carolina. Like That's compelling. That's cool. Carolina would have been a great team on Hard Knocks. Uh, or the Jaguars, Urban Meyer, Trevor Lawrence, Gardner Minshew. That would have been fun. The Jets, they got a new coach. They got a new quarterback, Zach Wilson, a rookie quarterback at that. The Bengals, Joe Burrow, his recovery. Can they do something? Even the Eagles, I would love to see. (laughs) It'd be hilarious to try to watch HBO turn the ramblings of the Eagles head coach, Nick Sirianni, into something cohesive that makes sense. I, I, And then not only to watch, get some insight on Nick Sirianni, but then to watch Jalen Hurts do his thing as the leader of the Eagles. I mean, that would be awesome. So when I look around the NFL and I go, huh, of all the teams you could have had, the Cowboys are at the bottom of my list of teams I would have wanted to see. They've done it many, many times before. I, I'm not, I just, I'm not that interested. I, there's not a lot of compelling storylines there. I guess I know Dak Prescott's coming back from an injury. Uh, that's interesting. Maybe we'll get some insight from the head coach, Mike McCarthy, what's he like? What's maybe some, that'll be some fun, maybe some storytelling there to find out. Uh, I'm going to watch Hard Knocks. That's my job. 
Um, but I, I really and Hard Knocks is always very well done. Liev Schreiber, uh, the guy who narrates it, is beautiful. It's always well edited. It's well produced. It's well put together. But I really just, man, I wish there had been a different team featured on Hard Knocks this year. I was kind of disappointed when I found out it was going to be the Dallas Cowboys. Okay, uh, look, everybody else right now is doing NFL predictions. I've seen people put out like, here's my prediction for this division and that division. And it's July. It's July 3rd right now, about to be July 4th. It's too early, in my opinion, to work on NFL predictions. I, you know, you, if you know me at all, you know I wait till the very last moment in August. Probably games start, what, September 6th, 7th, something like that. 5th, maybe? It's a Thursday. I think it's Cowboys, Buccaneers. I'm going to wait till the last week in August before I do any kind of prediction because I want to have a- a- assurance that rosters are finalized. I want to figure out what happens with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Deshaun Watson's probably not going to play, but if he does, I want to know, like— it's way too early to do an NFL prediction right now for a team season. I just I'm like I, I'm very uncomfortable with that. And uh, I mean again, it's July. It's July. But but I will say uh, I also haven't finished wrapping up my predictions from last year in 2020. Remember, I do predictions every August, and then I try to do my best to go back and revisit my prediction. Was I right? Was I wrong? And so today's episode is focused on predictions versus reality, the reality of my predictions. Uh, Now, full transparency, I want to be clear about this. It weighs on me tremendously uh, that I haven't finished it yet. I'll be be totally honest. uh, It feels like a debt that needs to be settled. It feels like, uh, you know, I, I next year want to finish predictions versus reality much, much earlier, like in it's aggressive to try to do it in February, maybe finish it by March or early March, January, February, March, April. Early April would be great, well before the draft kicks into gear. I want to get predictions versus reality completely out of the way. Um, and I, in my head, I thought I might wait for a slower period of time, like, oh, I'll just wait till things slow down. And I've learned two problems with that as I've gone through this year. Uh, number one is things do not slow down. That's, there's no COVID this year, so, I mean, there is, to be clear, but... Last year, everything was canceled. There was literally nothing. So I was like, okay, well, let's find something to talk about. Uh, this year, you have basketball, Formula One, uh, March Madness, call, I mean, news, free agency, the draft. Like Things are going on like crazy here. So it's, it hasn't really slowed down at all in the sports world this offseason, even a little bit from the NFL world. Number two is I realized, hey, when things do slow down, July, early August is going to be pretty dead for a while. I want to do... Film analysis videos. I don't want to still be talking about my predictions. I want to do a deep dive into Ryan Tannehill and Matthew Stafford. And film analysis videos are my favorite thing I make. And I'm like, well, I honestly, at this point, I'm like, I want to get it done. But I, I've been really, it's taken me four days maybe to make this episode, trying to do research, trying to do it right, because I don't want to rush through it. Even though I want to get it done, I'm like, well, I still want to do it the right way. So today... Uh, we are going to talk, we'll, we'll do predictions versus reality. I'll revisit my predictions from 12 teams. It's the AFC East, the NFC North, and the AFC South. We'll kind of do a season recap, and I will share a couple of takeaways from every team season and uh, what we learned, or kind of one key, two or three takeaways from every team's year. I, I want to start in the NFC North. Uh, I actually want to start with the Detroit Lions, which... Maybe that's the first time the Lions have been first in anything in a long, long time. Um, 
Last year, I predicted the Detroit Lions to go 5-11. and 11. And I, I nailed it. They did, in fact, not only did they go 5-11 and 11, like I predicted, I made some other predictions. I predicted that they would move off of their starting quarterback, Matthew Stafford. I said, oh, at some point, they're going to get rid of Matthew Stafford. Uh, right after this year, by the way. That was a prediction. And I said, and they're going to fire their head coach, Matt Patricia. Well, after week 12, uh, the Lions fired not only their head coach, Matt Patricia, they also fired their general manager, Bob Quinn. Uh, and for Lions fans, they were incredibly happy. The agony was over. Hallelujah, the bad people are gone. Uh, some people even rejoiced when Matthew Stafford uh, was traded as well. Uh, to me, my predictions made sense. Uh, ownership wanted to win. They wanted a playoff push. I knew the Lions were not going to be in a situation to be pushing for the playoffs this year. So it was easy to predict, hey, the coach is going to get fired. And then I figured if you're going to hire a new coach and rebuild the team, you wouldn't want to rebuild around a 33-year-old quarterback, Matthew Stafford. So you're going to also want to jettison Matthew Stafford and rebuild with somebody younger and newer and fresher. So Matthew Stafford was traded to the L.A. Rams. In return, the Rams gave the Lions Jared Goff and two first-round picks, which is genius, by the way. The Lions are in a brilliant position right now. Um, their head coach, Dan Campbell, has a really weird quote where he talks about biting off kneecaps, and I don't know. However, I will say the only crime there is he got too passionate about football during a press conference. That's not, that's not terrible. So, number one, Dan Quinn is not as bad as I think people may be treating him. Uh, sorry, Dan Campbell, excuse me. Dan Campbell may not be as bad as people may be treating him. Uh, he also did fairly well as interim head coach in Miami a couple years ago. He's definitely been around the NFL for a while. It's possible Dan Campbell's awesome. Uh, Anthony Lynn is their offensive coordinator. Questionable offensive coordinator. Really, really, sorry, let me back up. Questionable head coach. I, I, spoke, I misspoke. As the LA Chargers head coach recently, uh, before he got fired, could not appear to win a close game to save his life. Like they had so many losses in close games. That's there's something wrong there. But as an offensive coordinator, wonderful. He he made Justin Herbert look like a star last year. So they got a good offensive coordinator, a head coach. I'm like, okay. They also have Jared Goff. And in, in case Jared Goff is awful, they also have two first round picks they got from the Rams. So they can either use one of those first round picks to draft a new quarterback or make a package deal to trade up in the draft and go get a quarterback. So my point is the Lions right now, I, I know last year was awful for the Detroit Lions. It was not fun. Their coach got fired. They were a terrible team. They went 5-11. and 11. But it was kind of a necessary year of failure where like a Phoenix rising from the ashes, this might be the best opportunity to win the Lions have had in a long, long time. I know... Uh, what's that coach? The guy who coached Matthew Stafford. They fired him too early. I'm blanking on the name. Uh, there was some coach who came from Peyton, Peyton, the Colts. What am I? I, I can't remember. I, I Jim Caldwell. The Jim Caldwell era was another moment where the Lions had an opportunity to be really good. And it felt like they bailed too early on Jim Caldwell. But second to the Jim Caldwell era, this is another opportunity where if you're going to rebuild, hey, this might be as good as it gets for Lions fans. There's a reason to have some hope. Now, they're still the Lions. They've still got questionable ownership and this and that. But, hey, as far as things go, there's some reason to have hope in Detroit. Uh, so, now, Matt Patricia, Bob Quinn, they're gone. Two players last year, though, in, in the, the brutal year that was 2024, both uh, everybody <laughs> with COVID, then also the Detroit Lions fans, uh, two players that really stood out to me were TJ Hawkinson 
and DeAndre Swift. So second-year tight end TJ Hawkinson out of Iowa had a good year. He made his first Pro Bowl. Uh, He's a former number eight overall pick in 2019. To see him make a Pro Bowl, very encouraging. Um, I... He will forever be compared to his former Iowa teammate Noah Fant. Noah Fant versus TJ Hawkinson. Noah Fant went to Denver. TJ Hawkinson is in Detroit. But man, it'll be really interesting to see him continue to grow. And seeing him make a Pro Bowl, that's encouraging in his second year. Now, DeAndre Swift, the Lions rookie running back last year, had a really, really rough start to his NFL career. He dropped the game-winning pass with five seconds left, sorry, six seconds left in the game. Week one against Chicago. Your first ever NFL game. Play starts with 11 seconds left. You drop the ball at six seconds left. And you <laughs> you drop the game-winning touchdown in your first ever NFL game. That's a brutal way to start off your NFL career. But after that, DeAndre Swift bounced back. He was trading time with Adrian Peterson at running back. Uh, and... DeAndre Swift ended up having a pretty decent year. Uh, as far as rookie years go, he had he ran for 521 yards, eight touchdowns. He also had 46 catches for 357 yards and two more touchdowns. I would imagine that as Detroit kicks off their rebuild, they're very excited to have a guy like DeAndre Swift as part of their football team. Uh, and I, I just, two people that, there's not a lot to cheer about last year in Detroit. Really, everyone, I'm sure, is looking forward to next year. But looking back at last year, hey, DeAndre Swift, a young running back, a guy you can put in your rotation with Jamal Williams and be really excited about. And then, hey, TJ Hawkinson made a Pro Bowl. That's awesome. And those are my key takeaways from the Detroit Lions season last year in 2020. Now, Minnesota... I predicted the Minnesota Vikings would go 10 and 6 last year. And the reality is they went 7 and 9. They finished third in the NFC North. And uh, the two main reasons for this, there really are kind of three. But the two main reasons are number one, their defense had a ton of injuries last year in 2020. Uh, they had a bunch of struggles. Uh, the Vikings head coach, Mike Zimmer, was not happy. He's a defensive guy, and they did not play up to his standard. Now, reason number two is the Vikings quarterback. The unfortunate reality is that Kirk Cousins is not living up to the massive contract the Vikings gave him. The expectation was he will be the final piece of the puzzle to put them over the top. Kirk was supposed to help them win big, and he hasn't. In close games, he hasn't done enough. Go watch the Bears-Vikings game week 15. He throws an interception on the final drive of the game, a game they lose by six points. That's awful. Go watch the Titans game, Seattle, Dallas. In the Colts game, Kirk was awful. Kirk Cousins has not done nearly enough, and now the Vikings are looking to replace him. And I I don't blame him. I totally get it. Kirk has not done enough to keep his job. That's why the Vikings drafted Texas A&M quarterback Kellen Mond in the third round of the 2021 NFL Draft. So the defense was a problem. Kirk Cousins was a problem last year. Another problem was the Vikings kicking game. Their kicker, Dan Bailey, ranked right at the bottom of the NFL. He made only 68% of his field goals last year. That's dead last in the NFL. 
He was 0 for 3 against Tampa. Uh, he missed one against Tennessee, and his team lost by one point. Between the defense getting hurt, injured, not playing their best, and Kirk Cousins not playing great, and the kicking game being awful, of course Minnesota went 7-9. And when you look at it that way, you go, huh. Defense had problems. Quarterback had problems. Kicker couldn't do very well. It's kind of a miracle they went 7-9. and nine. It's probably why Mike Zimmer still has his job, is people clearly believe, hey, Mike Zimmer— Great coach. You just need the right quarterback. You need to stay healthy on defense. And for the love of Pete, can we figure out the kicking game? Uh, now, you can't talk about the Vikings 2020 season without mentioning Justin Jefferson. Last offseason, Minnesota traded Stefan Diggs to Buffalo for a first-round pick. And the Vikings used that pick to really effectively replace Stefan Diggs. They drafted Justin Jefferson 22nd overall in the 2020 NFL Draft. And, uh, oh my goodness, he was easily not only the best rookie receiver last year, he might have been actually the best rookie receiver of all time. He might have had the best rookie receiving season we've ever seen. He was in the conversation for Rookie of the Year. I, Justin Herbert got it. I totally agree with that. But the close second and, and arguably more deserving person was Justin Jefferson. Again, he had arguably the best rookie receiving season Ever. He had 88 catches for 1,400 yards exactly and seven catches. I loved watching the guy last year. Uh, I also want to give a shout-out to Dalvin Cook, the Vikings running back. He was second in pretty much everything in the NFL in rushing, second in rushing yards, second in rushing touchdowns, to only the Tennessee running back Derrick Henry, who had like an all-time historic year. So uh, Dalvin Cook was awesome. Justin Jefferson was great. But my goodness, the defense, Kirk Cousins, and the kicking game were big, big problems last year in Minnesota. Now, one prediction I was way, way off on last year was the Chicago Bears. I predicted them to go 4-12. and 12. Uh, And basically, I did that because I had no faith in their starting quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky. When they named him their starting quarterback, I had a strong reaction to say, uh, that's not good. Don't understand that. Don't agree with that. Uh, the reality is, though, the Bears made the playoffs, actually. They went 8-8. Eight and eight. Uh, In spite of their quarterback situation, I would say they made the playoffs. It's not like... Mitchell Trubisky led them there. Uh, they started with Trubisky. Uh, then they switched to Nick Foles after Trubisky had problems. Nick Foles gave them a spark against Atlanta, let it come back. And then for uh, all of, you know, for about half of their games, they rolled with Nick Foles as their starting quarterback. For the other half of their games, they rolled with Mitchell Trubisky. It was back and forth. They kept flip-flopping between quarterbacks. It was very unstable. Despite that, though, again... They made the playoffs. They went 8-8. Eight and eight. Uh, They lost to the New Orleans Saints 21-9 in the wild card round. But I, I don't know. First of all, in the end, Trubisky was let go. Mitchell Trubisky is now the backup quarterback in Buffalo behind Josh Allen. Uh, I will also say one big surprise in Chicago was Jimmy Graham. I don't know what future Jimmy Graham has. Like, he's 34 years old. I don't know what he's going to do this coming year. And Jimmy Graham certainly cannot run the way he used to. But I do want to give Jimmy Graham a shout-out because last year in Chicago, he was a really, really effective red zone threat. He had eight receiving touchdowns. Uh, again, not sure if he's going to even make the team this year. He's certainly a guy who we'll see what he can bring to the table. But last year, Jimmy Graham brought, brought something really, really solid as a tight end to the Bears offense. Now, I walked away from the 2020 season last year. I think with more hope than actual Bears fans had. Uh, my immediate reaction in February went, okay, the Bears are closer to winning than I think other people may realize. First of all, I think 
I, and this, by the way, I had a really positive attitude even before the Bears drafted Justin Fields. Um, I think people don't realize Matt Nagy, their head coach, is 28 and 20 in three years as a coach. And by the way, he's never really had a real quarterback. I've been saying, hey, as long as the Bears can get a quarterback somehow, they can win. Well, they signed Andy Dalton. I went, ah, that's not good, but it's definitely better than what they've had before. Now they have Justin Fields. That's really exciting, very positive. They already have the two best Bears quarterbacks in the entire Matt Nagy era on their roster, and Andy Dalton and Justin Fields have not played a game in a Bears uniform. But look, last year, Allen Robinson was a bright spot. He had over 100 uh, catches in 2020. Uh, Second-year running back David Montgomery ran for over 1,000 yards. Rookie fifth-round receiver Darnell Mooney was a pleasant surprise. He had 61 catches for 631 yards and four touchdowns. Him, Allen Robinson, like I feel very confident in the Bears team in general. Their roster, their offense, their defense, they still are led by Khalil Mack on defense. I actually, in a weird way, with hindsight looking back, you can look at 2020 and feel encouraged. Uh, they did not have a good quarterback situation, and they still went 8-8. Eight and eight. They still made the playoffs. They still were second in their division. Uh, so this fall, 2021, it's going to be Justin Fields' first year in the NFL, their new rookie quarterback. It might take him a while. He might not be the starting quarterback till week 5, week 8, week 12. Who knows? So it might not be till 2022 that Chicago is scary again. But at some point, Justin Fields is going to click. They've got, I, I am, maybe I'm weird. I believe in Matt Nagy. Uh, he, he, went, he won with Mitchell Trubisky. He made the playoffs. I think that means something. And they've still got Khalil Mack leading that defense. They've got some good players on offense. Once it clicks and works for Justin Fields, Chicago's going to be really, really dangerous. And I would not ignore the Chicago Bears right now. Ah, now Green Bay. Last year, I predicted that the Green Bay Packers would go 11-5. and five. The reality is they did even better than that. They went 13-3. and three. They went to the NFC Championship game. And I guess, you know, before we get into kind of the obvious story here, uh, one pleasant surprise was the Packers tight end, Robert Tanyan. He had a breakout season. He got 52 passes for 586 yards and 11 touchdowns. Uh, tied for fifth most in the NFL. That's awesome. That's a big deal. He did very, very well. Now, obviously, the biggest takeaway from the 2020 season, and I, Packers fans, I kind of feel bad for you guys because it's kind of taking over everything right now. It's the Aaron Rodgers situation, what's going on, and what, everything that revolves around Aaron Rodgers' relationship with the Green Bay Packers. So two years ago, Aaron was given a new young Head coach Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur is awesome. Doing great stuff. Great play design. Rejuvenating this Packers team. The defense also was upgraded. Aaron Rodgers was given a new, better defense. And Aaron's always had a pretty solid offensive line. And this year, in 2020, the Packers were one game away from a Super Bowl. They were in the NFC Championship game. And by the way, in that NFC Championship game, the Packers picked off the opposing quarterback, Tom Brady, three times. So the defense gave him support. Well, apparently all that wasn't good enough for Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is unhappy. He wants out. Uh, He seems like he's going to sit out. He's been in Hawaii during training camp, just doing stuff. It's like he doesn't seem interested in playing football. And he won the NFL MVP last year. He had a crazy great year. 
Made people look really, really good. Devontae Adams had 18 touchdown catches. But apparently Aaron's unhappy. Uh, By the way, the Packers, in case you don't know, the Packers have gone to -to back-to-back NFC Championship games. Uh, They've gone to three championship games in the last five years. That's a ridiculous amount. Uh, And Aaron, as a starting quarterback in the NFC Championship game, is one in four. So it's a bit weird. Aaron's the one who's unhappy here. Uh, Seems like the dude's been given everything he wants. Uh, He got a new coach. A a good one, by the way. He's done really, really well. Got a good defense. He's got a good offensive line. Uh, Got a good running game. Like, they, they picked off Tom Brady three times in the game to get into the Super Bowl. They're winning a lot. I Right now, Aaron holding out and apparently you know just not interested. He's justifying the Packers draft pick in 2020 when the Packers drafted Jordan Love. Clearly, the Packers did need a new quarterback because it seems like Aaron Rodgers cannot be pleased. And I know everything I'm saying is making half of a population excited and half of the people really, really angry and triggered. And I wish I had more to say about the 2020 season, but unfortunately, it feels like it's been totally overshadowed by their quarterback situation. And uh, I think Aaron is, uh, how do I even put this? I think Green Bay, I guess, is getting ready ready for a time that they do not have Aaron Rodgers as their starting quarterback. Something they've been doing, by the way, ever since they drafted Jordan Love. Like They've been preparing for this moment, the moment where... Meeting Aaron Rodgers' demands just could not be enough. And so it's hard to look at Aaron as the one who's reasonable here. Uh, a lot of people are finding ways to say, oh, the Packers didn't do the right things for Aaron Rodgers. I'm like, they gave him a great team. They've won a lot. They've got a good coach, good defense, good offensive line, good running game. He's got Devontae Adams. He's got Robert Hunt. Like, there are a lot of people around him. And somehow that's not enough for Aaron. And so I, I, I just... That's my takeaway from the 2020 season for the Green Bay Packers. I wish it was something else, but that would be inauthentic. That'd be wrong and untrue. So that's my takeaway from the Packers 2020 season. I'm going to take a short break, drink some water, go to the bathroom. Uh, When I return, we will do predictions versus reality for the AFC East. That's the New England Patriots, the Bills, Miami, uh, the New York Jets. And then later, we'll do the AFC South, the Jaguars, the Colts, the Titans, and the Houston Texans. My name is Zach Schaumler. Going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope we're doing very, very well. Uh, By the way, I went back and I watched the end of the NFC Championship game, uh, the Buccaneers-Packers game from January. Watched it earlier today. And um, yeah, the Packers had the ball on the eight-yard line with like two minutes and 30 seconds left. Fourth and eight, fourth and goal, basically. Well, fourth and goal. And uh, the Packers kicked a field goal down eight points rather than going for a touchdown. And it seems like that's something Aaron Rodgers is really mad about. Like, he's really upset that his team settled for a field goal. But also, if you watch the game, he's not putting up a fight. He's never once like, oh, we should we should go for it. There's no conversation. I remember watching Lamar Jackson earlier in the year last year. Like getting frustrated. Let's go for it. It's fourth and two. Let's go for it. Like he just he put up a fight. He said, We gotta go for it. This is a key moment in the game. If Lamar Jackson, a, <laughs> a who's won an MVP, sure, but if Lamar Jackson can put up a fight and say, Hey, let's go for it on fourth down, certainly Aaron Rodgers could speak up. I mean, I don't Aaron loves to play the victim, but does not like to take accountability for anything. It's very weird to me. Uh let's jump in. I want to talk about the AFC East now. 
Last year, I predicted the New England Patriots would go 9-7. and seven. In fact, I thought they were going to make the playoffs uh, with an extra. The NFL added a seventh team uh, making the playoffs in the NFC and the AFC each. Uh, now, I know they lost Tom Brady, their starting quarterback, something that cannot be quantified. The value he brings to a team, he's so valuable that uh, he led the Buccaneers, a team that were awful the year before, to a Super Bowl and a Super Bowl victory. But I was confident in Cam Newton. Cam Newton, a former MVP quarterback they brought in from Carolina. I'm like, hey, this might work and could work pretty well. Unfortunately, the reality is the Patriots went 7-9. and nine. Uh, They did not make the playoffs. Cam Newton also did not impress. Uh, he's a former MVP. In fairness, it, you know, he didn't get much help. I think that's worth noting. Like, the team around Cam Newton wasn't great. But it is interesting, the reality that he ran for more touchdowns than he threw. He also had eight touchdown passes and ten interceptions. So it's just a weird year all around where you run for more touchdowns than you throw, and you throw more interceptions then you throw out touchdowns. That's a weird, weird year for Cam Newton, and certainly not a great year for Cam Newton. Uh, the biggest problem in New England last year was their roster. They had a ton of starters either leave in free agency or opt out of the season altogether. And as a result, the Patriots struggled to compete. There just wasn't a lot of talent there in New England. In fact, the Bills beat the Patriots two times last year, something that hasn't happened and that's got to be something that hasn't happened in a long, long time to have Buffalo beat the Patriots twice in a single year. And the low point of the year for the Patriots was week 16, losing to Buffalo at home in New England. Buffalo beat the Patriots 38 to 9. In New England, Buffalo beat the Patriots 38 to 9. And by the way, as a team in that game, the Patriots had 56 yards passing. That is, ooh, not good. Not good. Now, one bright spot for the Patriots last year was their corner, J.C. Jackson. He had a breakout year. Uh, I gave him my breakout player of uh, of the year award in the NFL. He had nine interceptions. That is second most in the entire NFL. Uh, Nine interceptions last year in a single season. That's a lot. Now, looking back at the 2020 season for the Patriots, just a weird year all around. COVID opt-outs. Uh, Belichick doing his best to make a bad situation kind of hand, hand work. He's, I mean, it felt like Bill Belichick, the Patriots head coach, was kind of biding his time. Just saying, like, we got to get by, waiting for free agency, hoping to make a big, lot of big moves, which he did this past offseason uh, in 2021. But looking back at 2020, the biggest disappointment in New England was the Patriots' second-year receiver, Nikhil Harry. He's a former first-round pick who has completely failed to develop. He's not a number one receiver, and he was drafted to be a number one receiver. He just has not become that. Last year, Nikhil Harry only had 33 catches for 309 yards and two touchdowns. And part of that is on the quarterback, Cam Newton, but part of that, it's kind of a chicken and the egg scenario. Did having a receiver not develop hurt Cam, or did having Cam hurt the receiver? It's like they both kind of impacted each other, but they clearly didn't play well together. And Nikhil Harry, you read it everywhere, is at risk of not even making the roster in New England. He's that disappointing. Uh, And the fact that to this point in his career, he hasn't become not even a number one receiver, but just not a not anything worthy of a first round pick. It's he's a bust so far to this point in his career. He's not panned out to be the person the Patriots drafted him to be. Uh, That's a big, big concern in New England. Nikhil Harry and his lack of development. 
Now let's shift to Buffalo, upstate New York. I predicted the Buffalo Bills would go 12 and 4 last year. Uh, I had high expectations. And that was really, go watch my predictions video. I was like, man, Josh Allen, the Bills quarterback, is going to take a step forward. I was really, really confident in Buffalo and really, really confident in Josh Allen. Now, the reality is that somehow Buffalo exceeded even my really high expectations. Josh Allen, the Bills quarterback, I thought was going to take a big step forward. He took a massive step forward as a player. He put himself into the MVP conversation. It was really, really fun to watch. The Bills made a push for a Super Bowl. Uh, They lost in the AFC Championship game to Kansas City. I was really disappointed. I was rooting for, I wanted the Bills against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers to have the Buffalo Bills play their old rival Tom Brady in a Super Bowl. Imagine the Bills fan base playing against Tom Brady in a Super Bowl. Imagine if Tom Brady beat the Bills in a Super Bowl. Oh my goodness. Uh, But I wanted that. I wanted some kind of, I didn't care who won, but I wanted Bills versus Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. We didn't get that. Instead, we got Tampa versus Kansas City. I was pretty upset about it. I, I honestly was very, very disappointed. Um, now I will say there are two massive takeaways from the Buffalo Bills season in 2020. Number one, the Stefan Diggs trade was absolutely a home run. They traded him for a first round pick. Uh, the dude had 127 catches, the most in the NFL. He also led the league in yards with 1,535 and he caught eight touchdowns. So Stefan Diggs, that trade was a home run. And also really, really probably helpful for the development of Josh Allen. But my second takeaway is this from last year. It was so important that the Bills kept their offensive coordinator, Brian Dable. He was on the coaching carousel. A lot of people interviewing for head coaching jobs all over the NFL. And I was afraid Buffalo was going to lose Brian Dable. I was like, oh man, they're going to lose this guy. And he's been a big part of Josh Allen's development and success. So keeping Brian Dable is really going to help Buffalo continue in their pursuit of a Super Bowl. That's awesome. I'm excited for the future in Buffalo. They got the right quarterback. For now, they've got their offensive coordinator who's working really, really well. Got a good head coach. Got a good defense. Buffalo, the battle between New England, a team, New England team that's bouncing back and kind of reloaded and rebuilt their team from last year, and a Buffalo team trying to come back and push even farther on a Super Bowl run. Buffalo versus New England. I don't know who's going to win the AFC East next year. But it's going to be really, really interesting. And then another thing is, can Miami, I guess, put their hand, put their hat in the ring and say, hey, can, can the Dolphins push for an AFC championship as well? Um, it is certainly not the crummy, weak AFC East that it used to be when Tom Brady was the starting quarterback in New England for years and years. Now the Jets. I predicted the New York Jets would go 3-13 and last year. But the reality was even worse than I thought. They went 2-14. and 14. It was a messy, awful year. Uh, Denzel Mims, their second round draft picket receiver, uh, got hurt. He only played about half the year. Uh, they had offensive line problems. C.J. Mosley, the exciting new addition they made. Uh, they signed him the linebacker out of Baltimore. He ended up opting out of the season with COVID concerns. So there was no C.J. Mosley after the excitement of signing him. Uh, and, and their quarterback, Sam Darnold, well... Sam Darnold, the Jets were not able to get him enough help is kind of what I'm going with. Uh, Sam was not perfect, although he never really got much of a chance, in my opinion. I think even, it's kind of weird. I think even Jets fans kind of felt bad for Sam Darnold there at the end in New York, where, 
I'm sure there was anger. I'm sure there was frustration, but also and very much disappointment. But also, like, can you really blame Sam Darnold when he's got an awful coach, not a lot of support around him? Um, it's it just, I think Sam Darnold needed a fresh start. It's really good to see Sam Darnold out of New York. And in the end, the Jets fired their head coach, Adam Gase, a welcome change. They traded Sam Darnold to Carolina. And now they're starting fresh with a new head coach, Robert Sala from uh, San Francisco, and a rookie quarterback, Zach Wilson. Now, I will say, when I look back at the 2020 season, there are some things that are still uh, bright spots, I guess, that make you feel pretty positive. First of all, their first-round pick, left tackle Mekhi Becton, looks great. He's going to be a part of the offensive line in New York for years to come. They're very excited about the left tackle they got there. Uh, rookie safety Ashton Davis uh, also looked really good before he hurt his shoulder uh, about halfway into the year. Uh, young D-tackle Quinnen Williams. Looked great as always. He was in his second year last year. He's a stud. Uh, and then kind of the cool story for the Jets, kind of one of the only things to be like, really like, oh, that's cool. Frank Gore uh, was uh, the running back last year for the New York Jets. It was his 16th year in the NFL, and he got to 16,000 rushing yards last year while wearing a New York Jets uniform. He's got the third most 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 got the third most rushing yards in NFL history now. That's very exciting. 2020 was a really bad year for the Jets, but things like that, having Frank Gore get to a cool milestone, uh, watching Mackay Becton flourish, watching Ashton Davis do well, watching Quinn and Williams remind you why he was picked and make you feel so positive about him. There are good things that happened in New York. There just weren't that many of them last year for the Jets. Uh, the Dolphins. I really, really underestimated the Miami Dolphins last year. I predicted they would go 7-9. and nine. In reality, they went 10-6. and six. They just barely missed the playoffs. They were the 8th seed in the AFC. The top 7 teams made it. They were number 8. So they were really, really close to getting into the playoffs last year. Miami's defense was really good. Better than I expected. I don't know why I didn't expect them to be great like they were. Uh, they added some key players. A guy like Byron Jones, a corner from Dallas, for example. Uh, they also drafted D-tackle... Raquan Davis from Alabama in the second round. He became a starter very quickly. He played really, really well. Um, the Dolphins had a, their other corner, Xavier Howard, led the NFL in interceptions. He had 10 of them last year. Uh, on offense, there was a cool guy who emerged, Miles Gaskin, a running back out of Washington, University of Washington, a seventh-round pick from 2019. He contributed a ton. Miles Gaskin looked great and really, really surprised people. However, though, the big focal point in Miami last year was their quarterback situation. The Dolphins drafted quarterback Tua Tungavaloa, number five overall in the 2020 NFL draft, notably ahead of Justin Herbert, who at the time I was like, yeah, Tua is better than Justin Herbert. I I was not a Justin Herbert fan. I, I feel like an idiot now saying that. Uh, and I, I, at the time I, I praised Miami for drafting Tua ahead of Justin Herbert. Now I fear that's something they might, Regret down the road. Now, it's very early. Uh, I don't want to pull the plug on Tua at all. There's a lot of factors. He's It's a rookie year. Like, every quarterback's different. Development is different for everybody. But Tua, in the times he did play last year, was unconvincing, to say the least. Uh, it was pretty clear. Miami made a shift to try to make Tua their starting quarterback week eight after their bye week. They're like, we are going to, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, thank you for your service. First seven weeks, we're now going to shift gears to Tua. But the problem is they kept benching Tua in key moments. Key moments late in games, they took Tua out. 
and they would replace Tua with Ryan Fitzpatrick. They, it's like they didn't trust Tua. It's like they were concerned about Tua. They wanted to win, and they felt like Ryan Fitzpatrick gave them a better opportunity to win at the end of a game than Tua did. And that's not a good thing to feel when you have a young rookie quarterback that you drafted number five overall. And then you look around the league, you know, first of all, your, your veteran quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick, outshining your rookie. That's not great. And then you look around the league and Tua was outshined by other rookie quarterbacks, guys like Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. It's concerning. And I could blame COVID to say like, well, you know, didn't have a great offseason. It was really short. Everything's over Zoom. Uh, but it didn't seem to affect Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert. So honestly, time will tell. Ryan Fitzpatrick is gone. He's in Washington. But this fall is going to be really important for Tua. He's going to have to show he can be the franchise quarterback that Miami needs. Uh, and last year, certainly he did not show that. I, I love Tua. He's one of my, he's one of my, if not my favorite player in the NFL is the only NFL Jersey I own is my fiance gave me a Tua Jersey for Christmas last year. Cause I love Tua. He's my favorite player. Uh, but I, despite my love for the guy, the, the dude from Hawaii, the, the person he is off the field, I still go, yeah, I'm I'm not confident he's going to be the guy long term in Miami. We got I got I need more information. I'm not going to make any determination yet, but I definitely and also a film analysis doesn't feel like enough either because I could do a film analysis of Tua and I probably will, but I don't. Last year is last year. I want to see what he does this year because uh, you can. I want to see him grow and I guess I can make a video saying here's things he's got to work on, but I really just want to see how he does this year. I'm really really curious and excited to see. Uh, All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll do the AFC South, the Jaguars, the Colts, the Texans, and Tennessee with the Titans. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. It is now time for predictions versus reality for the AFC South. Let's go to Indianapolis first. I predicted last year the Colts would go 11-5, and and... I nailed it. They went exactly 11-5, and five, uh, and they did make the playoffs. Now, two years ago, I felt like this team was a team ready to win, and all they needed was a quarterback. Well, last year in the 2020 offseason, they added Phillip Rivers. Uh, he was a veteran quarterback who'd been a stud for years and years, and I went, oh, here we go. Here it is. They got their quarterback. They got a good team. This is a team ready to make a Super Bowl run. And I'm like, man, they're going to make a deep playoff run. And uh, they did have a great defense. They gave Phillip Rivers uh, the best offensive line he's had in years. And unfortunately, their deep run came to an end in the first round of the NFL playoffs uh, when they lost to Buffalo in the wild card round. A really hot Buffalo team playing extremely well, playing against Josh Allen. Uh, The Colts lost by three points, 27 to 24. And, man, they came so close. I remember watching this game. Uh, Philip Rivers had the ball down three points, 24 to 27, with two minutes and 37 seconds. Sorry, two minutes and 30 seconds left on the clock. Uh, I believe they were on, like, the 14-yard line or the 16-yard. They were, like, they're deep in their own territory for sure. Uh, but they started driving and ended up turning a, the ball over on downs. They could not finish the drive to make the comeback. And I was hopeful, but the Colts came up just short. And uh, I, uh, it was painful because, again, this is a team that I, I felt like is so good. The roster's awesome. They just need good quarterback play. 
And so my main takeaway from 2020 is just how good this roster is, in fact. Uh, they're a really complete team. Philip Rivers retired, uh, and I felt like was kind of not invited back to the party. It was kind of sad. Philip Rivers, I think, left the game early where he's got still something left to give. I think Philip Rivers is better than Ben Roethlisberger is at this point, but Big Ben has won Super Bowls and is loved, and Philip Rivers was kind of jettisoned from a team that was ready to move on and try to start over with Carson Wentz. So Carson Wentz is now the quarterback in Indianapolis. Uh, we will see what he can do as the driver of this Ferrari that is the Colts roster. Now, last year, we also got more evidence of how great the Colts general manager, Chris Ballard, is uh, at drafting. In the second round alone, this is just two of the draft picks the Colts made last year in 2020. They got two new starters in the second round. They drafted Michael Pittman Jr., and uh, receiver and running back, Jonathan Taylor. So the Colts right now have arguably the best general manager in the NFL with Chris Ballard. And I feel very, very good about their future. Now, Houston, the Texans. I was very wrong about the Houston Texans last year. I predicted that they would go 8-8. Eight and eight. Uh, I was like, well, they got, you know, not a lot of talent. Uh, a, a coach I don't like. But I figured, hey, their quarterback, Deshaun Watson, could carry them for a while. Now, the reality is they went 4-12. and 12. Uh, Deshaun Watson did his best. He was unable to carry them. They were awful. Uh, the Texans finished at the bottom of the NFL in nearly every statistical category. Uh, we saw the DeAndre Hopkins trade was terrible. It became very, very apparent. I mean, just watching the season, you're like, oh, man. We saw everything play out exactly like we thought we would. David Johnson, the running back they got for DeAndre Hopkins, wasn't the worst. Um, but it's so clear that was a bad trade. I mean, just, just really, really obvious and easy to see. We saw it coming, and it played out exactly like we thought it would be. And so in October, the Texans fired their, uh, well, Bill O'Brien, who is both their head coach and their general manager. So Bill O'Brien was out. They're restarting everything. Um, and things got worse from there. So one of the only good things about the Texans last year, I mean, there's just not very much to say that's like good. They lost J.J. Watt. Uh, they were awful. They fired their coach. They were 4-12. and One of the only good things about Houston last year for the Texans was their starting quarterback, Deshaun Watson. And despite all the mess around him, he played on the field like an NFL MVP. And then two things happened when the year ended. Number one, he said, I'm not coming back. I refuse to play. That made Houston really mad. There was a battle going on. And that lasted for like, I don't know, some amount of like two months. Uh, was it a month? Was it a week? There was some amount of time where I remember the news cycle was, can you believe it? And the Texans were saying, we're not going to get rid of him. We refuse to budge. And there was kind of a stalemate between the Houston Texans and Deshaun Watson. And then after some amount of time, I can't remember exactly. Was, was it two weeks? Was it two months? Was it three months? Was it a week? I don't remember. Uh, but then a bunch of allegations started trickling in towards Deshaun Watson. And now Deshaun Watson is in the middle of a massive, massive legal battle. And so I, I don't know if Deshaun Watson's ever going to play football in the NFL ever again. He might. Uh, I certainly do not expect Deshaun Watson to play football this fall in 2021. And again, he may not play ever again. So Houston right now is a mess. The only good thing they had going for them last year now is out of the league and may never come back. So uh, Houston is just a tragic, uh, tragic's the wrong word there. Houston is a just really, really bad mess. And uh, it's a lack of bad ownership. It's a lack of discipline. It's a lack of all kinds of stuff. There's just problems galore. And uh, it's just, it's not good in Houston right now. Uh, and it, like I said, their only good thing they had going for them, that got ruined as well. Now, 
I predicted that the Tennessee Titans would go nine and seven last year, and I missed quite a bit. Uh, the reality is Tennessee went eleven and five. They won their division, the AFC South. I did not see that coming out. I thought the Colts would win the division. The Colts and Tennessee both went eleven and five. Tennessee won the tiebreaker. Now in the playoffs, uh, Tennessee lost in the wild card round to Baltimore. Uh, and I just, hmm, I, I guess I have three big takeaways from the Titans' season last year in 2020. Number one, uh, I walked away from 2020 feeling like they needed to evolve their passing game in Tennessee. Now, now two things happened in relation to that. Number one, uh, they lost their offensive coordinator, Arthur Smith. He became the Falcons head coach uh, in Atlanta. And so I, I, on one, in one sense— I don't know. I actually, I walked away just feeling like Arthur Smith leaving could be a blessing in disguise where he may have been what was holding back the Titans passing game. They weren't creative. There was a lot of stuff, a lot of nuance I thought that was missing. Now, Tennessee also had another interaction involving Atlanta. This is really going to help their passing game. They traded for receiver Julio Jones. So adding Julio Jones should really go a long way towards helping the Titans passing game, helping them evolve, helping them take a step forward. I'm actually really, I feel very excited. I think between AJ Brown and Julio Jones, and then having to defend Derrick Henry in the running game, I don't know what you're going to do to stop Tennessee this year. And I feel really excited about them. I think it's going to help their passing game a ton getting Julio Jones. Uh, And I think any concern you might have of Arthur Smith leaving, hurting the passing game, I don't. First of all, I don't even know that's a problem. Number two, adding Julio is for sure going to help them take a big step forward. You're going to have to play. We well, already have to load the box to try to stop Derrick Henry, which puts man-to-man coverage outside. Oh yeah, by the way, you have Derrick Henry and AJ Brown out wide, so it's going to be awesome, really fun to watch. And I am very, very hopeful to watch Ryan Tannehill and the Titans' offense next year. Takeaway number two from the Titans' season last year: Derrick Henry was amazing. The Titans running back ran for 2,027 yards and 17 touchdowns. He led the NFL in both categories, in touchdown runs and in yards. Uh, What Derrick Henry did last year is amazing. He He ran for the fifth most yards ever in a single season in NFL history. And it's crazy to do that, to run for 2,000 yards in today's modern NFL, where the league is very different, even from when... Adrian Peterson ran for over 2,000 yards in 2012. Uh, it, it's very, very different from the 80s when Eric Dickerson set the record for uh, the all-time record for single-season rushing yards. And only eight people have ever ran for more than 2,000 yards in a single season. It's really impressive and really cool that Derrick Henry is one of those people. Um, and I just, I, I it, it's to me that it's just like wow. I am so blown away. This happened in the modern NFL in 2020. Now, the third takeaway from the Tennessee Titans 2020 season, unfortunately, is Isaiah Wilson. Tennessee drafted him in the first round, 29th overall, uh, and he failed in the NFL. He's just a, he's categorically a bust. I don't know how you say it any other way that's kinder or, or I guess I could, but he is a bust. Uh, Isaiah Wilson kept getting in trouble off the field. Eventually, the Titans traded him to Miami, but people keep saying Isaiah Wilson was traded for a seventh-round pick. That's not exactly true. Tennessee and Miami traded seventh-round picks. Tennessee said, we'll give you our seventh-round pick. Miami gave Tennessee their seventh-round pick. And thrown in the deal 
was Isaiah Wilson. So Isaiah Wilson was traded for a seventh round pick and Tennessee had to give up not only their seventh round pick, but also Isaiah Wilson. So that's how undesirable Isaiah Wilson was. He was not even straight up traded for a seventh round pick. He had to be packaged together with the seventh round pick for a seventh round pick. It's really, really bad. Uh, And three days after trading for Isaiah Wilson, Miami released him. He's now out of the league. It's very sad. Uh, The guy clearly has big problems off the field. And what's really sad is he's missing out on a great opportunity to make a ton of money. I I don't know. He clearly doesn't seem to love football, but something's going on in his head. I I, I really worry for the guy. Something's happening there. I will say it's interesting. uh, Titans left tackle Taylor the one. I actually came out and supported the Titans general manager. A lot of people were like raising the pitchforks. How could you draft a guy who so clearly had a problem well, Taylor Lewan made a great point on some podcast somewhere. He said that um, it's easy to hide a lot when you're doing Zoom meetings, and that's how the draft process works. And so uh, clearly Isaiah Wilson needs help, but Taylor Lewan doesn't blame the Titans general manager. That's also the guy who delivered Julio Jones. I think that's awesome. So if Taylor Lewan doesn't blame him, I don't either. Uh, but it is part of the Titans 2020 season story. If you're going to tell the story of their year, you got to mention that uh, their first-round pick was a massive, massive bust. Now, uh, I am working on a Ryan Tannehill film analysis video, uh, but I feel pretty good about the Titans' future overall, like with the addition of Julio Jones, Derrick Henry's a stud. Uh, I still still think they can build off their 2020 season and be even better this fall in 2021. Okay, uh, finally, the last team I want to cover today for predictions versus reality, the last predictions versus reality topic uh, from the 2020 season, in fact. I predicted that the Jacksonville Jaguars would go 2-14 and last year. And unfortunately, it was actually too generous. Uh, the reality is they went 1-15. and So 2-14 and was my prediction. Reality was they went 1-15. and They only won one game last year. Uh, they beat the Colts week one. It was kind of a shock. I went, oh, wow. And then they lost 15 games in a row from that point on. And it felt like almost someone in the front office was like, hey, we won, shut that down. No, 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 this Gardner Minshew guy, get that out of here. Now, before the season even started, I accused the Jaguars' front office of tanking, of intentionally trying to lose to get a higher draft pick. And it's pretty obvious. They gutted the team. Uh, they got rid of all their talent they had anywhere. They released Landon Fournette. They released a lot of people. Uh, and they lost as much as they possibly could. Now, Players and coaches don't try to lose. They, they have to worry about their job security. So players give everything they have. Coaches give everything they have week to week, creating game plans and putting the best people out there they can. But the team just didn't have much talent. The front office was tanking by putting a bad team out there, giving the coaches nobody to work with, giving the players nobody to, to work with, giving the players bad teammates. So I think the person who really, really got kind of shafted the most <laughs> in the situation in Jacksonville was their second-year quarterback, Gardner Minshew. I hate the way Gardner Minshew was treated by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Did you know that Gardner Minshew is the only quarterback that's won a game starting for the Jacksonville Jaguars in the last two years? The way he's treated was sad. Inexplicably, the Jaguars just benched him midseason, put in a rookie quarterback, Jake Luton, who was awful, and then later, instead of going back to Gardner, they put in Mike Glennon. The Jaguars didn't support Gardner Minshew at all, and then they benched him. And I I know people are going to think I'm sounding like a fan and this and that. But I, I, there, this is a hill I will die on 
is that if you give Gardner Minshew a good team, put him in Pittsburgh, put him in San Francisco, put him on the Minnesota Vikings, uh, gave him the talent of the Green Bay Packers. If you gave Gardner Minshew a good football team around him, the Colts even, he would win a lot of football games. Unfortunately, the Jaguars refused to build around him. They said, nah, nah, we're not going to do that. Uh, They were tanking for Trevor. uh, And if Gardner was on a good team, he would win. That is a hill I will die on in the NFL. So 2020 resulted in the Jaguars firing their head coach, Doug Marone. They replaced him by hiring Urban Meyer, uh, a coach who, by the way, has never coached in the NFL before. Now, the biggest surprise of the Jaguars 2020 season was their undrafted rookie running back, James Robinson. He had an outstanding breakout year. Uh, He ran for 1,070 yards, seven touchdowns. He also caught 49 passes for 344 yards and three touchdowns. So the Jaguars had a running back, James Robinson. Uh, They also had a quarterback, uh, Gardner Minshew. So to me, it feels like a lack of evaluation. Are they not aware they had the quarterback problem solved? Are they not aware they had the running back problem solved? Because in the draft, they drafted in the first round um, Trevor Lawrence, a quarterback, and running back Travis Etienne. Now, to me, if you already have a quarterback, you already have a running back to replace them. We don't need to. feels a bit redundant. Feels like a judgment error. Like you can't evaluate your own players. They didn't really need a running back or a quarterback. Uh, but the front office had tanked for Trevor. They refused to pivot. They could not back off of it. And I understand like Trevor Lawrence is much more marketable. The, the excitement to sell to your fan base. Hey, we got Trevor. Yeah. That's much more of a sexy decision to go with Trevor than it is to stick with Gardner Minshew. But Gardner Minshew got the job done and was really good when you gave him an opportunity to go watch two years ago Gardner's rookie year the Jaguars against the Denver Broncos how he galvanized and rallied that locker room to beat the Denver Broncos and Joe Flacco I mean I it's undone go watch the film I I just cannot understand um I don't I'm, I'm curious how things turn out we we will see what happens uh the Jaguars have some good young players CJ Henderson LaVisca Chenault receiver Miles Jack DJ Chark Josh Allen Caleb on chase on that's just naming a few There's certainly young talent in Jacksonville. And I'm rooting for the Jaguars, even if I'm skeptical. But I I think I got to make a topic soon. They got to trade Gardner Minshew. It is not fair uh, how they treated him, what they did. And I, it's just weird to me. I think Gardner Minshew can win. uh, And it's sad that he's not being given an opportunity to be on a better team with a chance to play quarterback and win. I know I went to college with him. I know I've met him. I know I'm biased for sure, but I... That's just a hill I'm willing to die on, is that Gardner Minshew would win a lot of football games if you gave him a good roster around him. All right, guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. That is all I have. Uh, thank you so much. I love you. I appreciate you. I hope you have a great day. Uh, and until I see you next, uh, I guess take care. Happy Independence Day. And uh, ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.